You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. Oh, Tracy, I got a laugh out of that one that you time. That was did. pretty good. Yeah, you might have to go into the, the track and peel that one out. <laughs> in your in your scorekeeping of breaking guests, that that's I think one of your better one of your better timed efforts there. Yep, you got to you got to love it when Baby Yoda is is headbanging to the music, so Indeed. All right. So I mean, I'm I'm super excited about our guest this week uh, for a couple of reasons, not least of which that um, selfishly she is my agency sister. We are of the same brood. Uh, this is Erin M. <laughs> Evans that we've got with us. Who you've done like so much work, Erin, on so many different things. Um, and but what's really exciting is now you've got the beginning of your own trilogy coming out in yeah. November. So congratulations. Thank you. I'm very excited. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm best known for my tie-in work. I did Forgotten Realms novels, but this one, yeah. this one's mine. This one's all mine. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. oh, my God. Oh, my God, Patrick. Really? Already? <laughs> you're like, it is It is 14 seconds into this episode, and you're already bad <laughs> joking. Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> it's going downhill already. So, I mean, given that, that you're you have a background of writing really extensively in the forgotten realm setting that goes like all the way back to 2010. How, I mean, what, how is it just a fundamentally different thing, but also like you were yeah. still riding a bike to be doing your own series. So the, the comparison I've always made is that writing tie in is sort of like writing poetry that's very structured right you're writing a pantoum it has to have this many syllables you have to do these things but within that form you have a lot of uh creativity uh whereas like writing your own stuff is a lot more like free verse like you can put in whatever you want as long as you can make it work um when i switched when i decided i was going to go do my own stuff one thing that really struck me was that that in, in Tyan there are these immovable pillars. Like I may think it makes no sense for the Dragonborn City to have built been the you know the giant pyramid to have been built in ten years, but yeah. it was in this book for whatever reason. So I don't get to change it. I might mm -hmm. be like this this spell is really weird, and why does Fireball know how to make a left hand turn because of because of the way it's written. But it doesn't matter. That's how it is. I have to go. I have to work with it. But when you write your own stuff, there are no immovable pillars. You can move anything you want. And and the first time I bumped up, I'm like, something's not working. I was like, what do I take? What shifts? I could literally do anything. Um, and so I think you end up having to really understand your gut instinct as a writer even more strongly to know that like, okay, I want this pillar to be immovable. I want to work around this piece of the story. That's important. That's the crux of it. Um, someone's not feeding that to you and telling you like, yeah. no, you have to do it this way. Um, but yeah, that was, I think one of the things I had to get used to was the fact that the only person telling me what to do is me. <laughs> It's wonderful and also oh no. Oh oh dear mm -hmm. at the same time. <laughs> like who okay. the hell put me in charge? Yeah, this is a terrible idea. Oh dear. <laughs> so Empire of Exiles is the first book in your Books of the Usurper series. Yes. Get us get us there. Like walk us through it. What 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 is this world? What is this story? <laughs> I was trying this morning to think of a nice, concise way to describe it because I am not good at it. And I'm like, oh, it's I'm, a bunch of nerds. You are. I'm so much worse. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a bunch of magical nerds in a locked room mystery. 
that make it epic was as close as I got to a tagline. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. I I mean, like a big piece of this was I, you know, I sat down, I had I had written another book, I had written like a like a kind of traditionally rigorous epic fantasy. And that that's when I discovered that despite having written seven novels, I still counted as a debut. And it's hard to convince someone to to do a book like a doorstopper debut, um, which was was like, oh, okay, that's I didn't think that was gonna happen. I thought I had some some reader trust because I wrote I wrote some doorstoppers for Forgotten Realms. Um, so he sat down and was like, well, what do I really love and what do I want to do that I haven't got to do? And one of those is I really love mystery novels. Um, and I love about fantasy the fact that it it takes so well to picking up other genres. Yeah, um, yeah. to have things that feel like, you know, it's a it's a mystery, it's a fantasy, but it's a mystery. It's a fantasy, but it's a romance. It's a fantasy, but it's got Western trappings, right? That mm-hmm. there are ways you have to kind of massage that structure into the expectations of fantasy, but you can do it. So I was like, okay, I want to write a murder mystery. I want to write a murder mystery in a fantasy setting. Um, and then I also, I just missed, actually what I missed about writing D&D was that in D&D there are a lot of different kinds of people there are a lot of races that you know the answer is a wizard did it like why why do we have this <laughs> yeah. well because magic right and right. i love thinking up like the the deep reasons but i kind of enjoyed the freedom of like i don't need to explain to you why there are dragon people walking around cuz magic mm. dragons and right. magic made yeah. dragon people yeah. da da why don't they have tails <laughs> mm, because magic uh, and so I was like, why don't I just try doing that? So, you know, it's a world that has that um, kind of diversity of people where there's like, there are uh, like octopus centaur people like, like Ursula from the Little Mermaid, because I found right. that sounded cool, yeah. right? There yeah. are like, uh, I joke that I have three eyed knockoff tieflings because I have horned people who like live partially underground. And so they have a parietal eyes that can see in the dark. Right. I have like polyamorous slender men. And then I have like lots and lots of humans because I love that way that sort of that is one thing I, I love about fantasy worlds where you have so many different kinds of people who are you know different and their cultures are unique. And now they're they're like right up against each other. I think like like old school fantasy, you'd get a lot of like, here are the barbarian people and here are the people who are not actually samurais, but kind of, and there's like no trade, there's no crossover. <laughs> right. And, like that yeah. border is somehow a wall. So Empire of Exiles is a world where this sort of rolling catastrophe has happened and the the refugees of all of these nations have fled and fled and fled to this, this basically uh, peninsula at the end of the world. And, you know, when they get there, there's this horde of sort of shapeshifters that are causing all of these like civil wars and catastrophes and collapses. So they build, the, this is the weird magic, they build a wall out of salt and iron and dead sorcerers um, that repels them uh, That has because they have kind of fey qualities. So you mm-hmm. have this, like the remnants of the world are like basically in the equivalent of Spain. You have 10 nations jammed together and now, okay, what are we going to do? So this book doesn't start till 100 years after that, but you have all these people who are sort of, you know, the, the cultures are sort of shifting and growing into each other, but you're holding on to the things that are important and, and figuring out, like, how do you all fit together? Um, and then a big weird murder happens. <laughs> well, see, I, I think in your in your pitch, you need to work in Peninsula at the end of the world, because that mm-hmm. sounds like something Pratchett would have written. Yeah. 
or you know very different like that that there's also like the Piers Anthony angle there so I was sort of relieved yeah. when you said that this is like picture Spain and I was like don't say Florida don't say Florida don't say Florida. <laughs> um, I'm sitting here the whole time schooling my face <laughs> yeah the only thing is that when I've said you know picture Spain people are like oh so it's Spanish and I'm like no not no, real no, I mean no. like I mean and, and I love pulling things from sort of from real world cultures I really like ancient history a lot so I do pull for deeper back um but and and so there are some elements that fit in there that one of the cultures has kind of like spain during um uh, 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 uh what's it called when the moors were in charge of spain right um that there are elements of that in the in the sort of art and the architecture but it's like but it's only spain in a geographical sense <laughs> yeah, yeah. so i don't want to i don't want to give people a, a, a misinterpretation there right but yeah right yeah. See, in my head right now, I'm just hearing the lines in, in She-Hulk where the guy's like, you know, I, I don't want to be defined by my Spanish culture. And the guy says, Spanish isn't a culture, it's a language. <laughs> yeah. And the guy says, <laughs> right. you've never heard of Spain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh. that is kind of a whole thing. So, I mean, you're... You've set this up for me so perfectly that I feel like oh, good. I should slip you. Oh, like, start over. No, no, hold on. We're going to hit stop. We're going to record all over. <laughs> no, stop, Patrick. You can't take this from me. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to slip you 10 Dogecoin to, to sort of um, thank you for your setup here. But what I mean, you, you have a, bank, a background in anthropology. And it sounds yeah. like that is like utterly sort of indivisible from the way that you're thinking about like the world building and the people building and and all of that of, of Empire yeah. Exiles. Yeah, that is the thing that I loved about studying anthropology. It was just sort of, you know, it's like psychology is like, how does how do people individually work? And anthropology is sort of like, how do people as a group work? Right. How do we navigate living? as as a as a group and and what's really what i just find really interesting is like you know it's sort of like when we talk about evolution and and you you get over the idea that like there's a there's a, a scale right and that like humans yeah. are at the top and everything else just fucked up but it's like no anybody that's here anybody that's here succeeded right they just found a different path to succeed and i think that's the thing i love about like like reading about different civilizations and different cultures and like different ways of looking at the world because like you know the world's there it is what it is but the way that we interact with it is so determined by how we as a group kind of kind of work out how to function here um so you know there's there's going to be things that are not that are a little broken, right? There's things where they, you know, we, we give ourselves complexes because, you know, something else comes along with it, but there are also like really interesting and eye-opening ways to see things. And, and anybody who's here did it successfully, right? In some yeah. fashion or another. So for me, like I'm, when I'm creating like fantasy worlds, I don't tend to go like, Oh, okay. This is magical Mesopotamia. Um, but, but there are things where it's like, okay, well, you know, this idea of, um, you know, the, the Inanna stealing the, the, the mace, right. That's a, that's an interesting thing. Like, can we use that somehow? I love to find like places where there's like kind of an interesting overlap in like a, in like worldview, um, and figuring out, you know, why do, why do people construct their vision of the world this way? What are the, what's the, what are the, what's the bedrock of that? Like, how do we get yeah. there? Right. Yeah. Um, one of my favorites, I was working on a book once that, that kind of had some inspiration 
generation pulled from from Aztecs, right? And so, you know, we learn in school, like Aztecs love sacrificing people, right? And you're like, yeah. oh, it's all bloodthirsty. But the thing is, when you really get into it, the reason they do that is because everything around you is a sacrifice. The gods are constantly sacrificing. So everything, like you build these, 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 these temples and these pyramids and you the things that are in them are sacrifices, right? They're broken dishes and and jewelry that you give up. That this is like the only way the world works is is everybody continues sacrificing, right? And there is like there's obviously more to it, but like that concept underlying it, it's not just like I love stabbing hearts out, right? It's there's there's a different way of looking at things and taking that piece of it and carrying it forward, like lets you kind of adapt it into something else. Um, and, and also, you know, taking like, well, okay, if that's how you see it this way, well, what about this? That's similar. Like if we stick these two kinds of things together, what would come next? Right. Um, and that's what I just really love, love doing. Mm -hmm. It's sort of, you know, it's kind of funny hearing you talk about this because, uh, I'm right now in my job teaching, uh, excerpts from the thousand and one nights to my students. Mm. And of course the nights have been through like a gajillion different translations and, and, um, collections and things. And they're one of those like kind of super problematic texts in that we're not totally sure where all the stories came from. Like some of them come from the Middle East and some of them come from Turkey and some of them come from India and some are North Africa and some come from fuck all. And they sort of, you know, and some are, are pretty much, fanfics of yeah. the sort of imagined <laughs> orientalist style and here's yeah. like Antoine Gallant 18th century French dude like no I swear this is definitely yeah. original <laughs> who's like writing a thing and stuffing it in there and says no one else has this story it is definitely authentic um, <laughs> you know and so you've got this and the reason I'm bringing all this up is I was having my students look at different translations of chunks of the text. And yeah. one of the ones they looked at was the Richard Burton translation. Mm-hmm. And if you're at all familiar who, with who Richard Burton is, uh, yeah. cool. Did, and if you're not, I'm going to give he you... Marry, didn't he marry... A <laughs> One of the many, yes. Um, so the Burton translation is like 1885, right? Yeah. And my boy Burton is a weirdo. Um, like it, even by the standards of 1885, like his prose comes off like, "Are you, are you good?" Like because it's sort of like he has this idea that if like Christopher Marlowe's writing made love to a King James Bible and then fell into the early Edwardian era, we would end up with his version of the Knights, right? It's it's and it's this like totally capital O Orientalist take on everything, where like every sword has to be a scimitar and every. Mm-hmm. Every, you know, palace has to be covered in in carpets and, and various other sorts of things. And he just adds all sorts of stuff that's just not there in the original Arabic. And what that tells us is in a lot of ways more about him than about the right. original text, right? Yeah. Because, um, like, Burton was the closest thing history has ever known to if Indiana Jones were for real. Because, <laughs> like, he, he, he was a world traveler yeah. who was multilingual and widely educated and, like, kind of a spy and a government agent for the British, but also mm-hmm. sort of like a freelancing dude who would go and save things in air quotes to take them back to the British Museum and whatnot. Right. Um, and so for him, compiling this story, which represents a gajillion different cultures anyway, and putting it into a framework that makes it exciting and digestible for Western readers is about, isn't about trying to figure out like, how do we all live together or how do we define Mm -hmm. very different things for ourselves in ways where we understand them? It's about 
how do I kind of like homogenize something yeah. into this yeah. sort of like singular frame? And it sounds like the world that you're creating in Empire of Exiles is as much as is possible the opposite of that. We've got all these that different is- people who have to live together and have to have a mutual understanding, but are also kind of doggedly committed to their differences. Yeah. And what I, what I have, I, I, it's one of those things that I've tried, I have end up explaining a lot because I, I guess it's a little weird. Um, I love the, I, I love, I just want to, to really shout out that like reading that translation tells you more about the, the culture of Richard Burton than the culture he's purporting to, to describe. Yeah. Cause I think that is a really good point. Like a lot of times when we read secondary sources is like, really what you're looking at here first and foremost is who's writing this. Oh, yeah. that's such a good point. Yeah. Like, cause, cause what I think about is things like, you know, on a very minor scale, like my mom's family, uh, comes originally from Denmark but like ages ago but we still do things that I knew were a little weird like my mother puts butter on sandwiches instead of mayonnaise right and when I was a kid people were like why do you do that I'm like why do you do mayonnaise right like there's this touchstone that like they sort of intentionally keep right or that they like pull back because they want this root, these roots, they want this connection, right? And so that idea of like, you're moving through the world and the world is changing, like, like culture changes, right? Culture isn't static, um, unless you really force it to be static, in which case it's just going to get brittle, right? It's going to change. And yeah. so my hope with Empire of Exiles is to show people who are in a state where like, you know, they haven't been to the the, the lands of their ancestors for a hundred years, right? Yeah. But you know, there is, you know, especially when you are someone who is demonstrably different, when you're a polyamorous slender man, you're going to have a lot of like separation, like people are going to put you over here in this box. But you know, the culture you're living in is now this one that's very like, multi ethnic and multicultural. And like, you know, you've got a sense of what everybody else's business is, because you all live in Spain. Um, But at the same time, like you've lost so much, you want to hold on to what you have left. And that tension, like, I think is really interesting and very personal, right? It's different for every person. So Mm -hmm. for different characters, you know, there's, there is this sense of like, I live in this world with my family, and I live in this world with my coworkers. And, Mm -hmm. and finding the place where I live as me is, is not a simple, necessarily a very simple, straightforward question. Um, and so, yeah, like, I, I think it's, it is that sort of like, you know, and being able to do, this is another thing I love about doing multi-point of view is that you can have people who can say like, this is my nuanced experience of, of me and my life and someone outside be like, you know, I understand this slice of it that I can see and you can kind of see why this tension exists. Um, Mm -hmm. and it goes both ways, right? Because, because everybody's dealing with it on kind of a different level, but yeah. It's the weirdest coincidence, but Patrick, wasn't your garage band name in high school Polyamorous Slenderman? Or <laughs> oh God, that would be amazing. <laughs> it would be. It'd be kind of like, what? Well, what music did Polyamorous Slenderman do? Like, what was their vibe? <laughs> well, if it's not electronic, I don't know, man. Oh yeah, it does seem like I, I it just, would be something you'd get wasted to rave. Like that yes. would probably be, there'd be a lot of glow sticks. A lot of glow what, sticks. Whatever it was, it would have ended up on the Buffy the Vampire Slayer soundtrack. So. <laughs> Yeah, probably. I love it. Probably. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I we're we're kind of we're in a funky position here. This is the metaverse of the of the podcast because we've got um 
we're we're kind of on something of a time crunch and like the the unfortunate reality that surrounds us as we're here in the fun world of talking about books and stuff. Um, but we do want to make sure that, you know, we we kind of let folks in on your book and you've done such a great yeah. job of that. Want to do picks of the week? Are we good for picks? Sure. I, yeah. I can do picks. Let's do the jump. Picks of the week. Patrick, my man, what are you thinking? <laughs> well, this is difficult. Uh, we were talking before we hit record about Andor, and I do like Andor, but I think that I think that the folks doing the Disney shows right now are have a problem with writing. Mm-hmm. I think they're I think they're doing too slow of a burn to get into a series. And with something like uh, Obi-Wan and Andor, uh, I I feel like they're releasing three episodes because if they didn't release three episodes, if they just did the first episode and said, here's the first episode, people would go, this is fucking boring and I'm out. Yeah. <clears throat> so they're doing three episodes to try to hook you, right? Make you watch the three episodes because people are going to binge. They're going to be like, oh, there's three episodes. I'll watch all three. And then, but you know, by the third episode, you're going, oh, okay, now it's good. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll wait for the fourth episode. So kind of half picking and or mm-hmm. um, the, the, I'm going to make the major pick. Uh, Welcome to Wrexham. Okay. I haven't heard anything about this. I am enjoying Welcome to Wrexham. And I, 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 I tried to explain why a couple days ago and I couldn't, I failed completely. So, you know, this is going to be great. But <laughs> the, the idea here is uh, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhoney. I think that's how his name's pronounced. From uh, he he's from It's Always Sunny in in Philadelphia, and obviously Ryan Reynolds is best known from Two Guys, a Girl, and a Pizza Place. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they bought a a football team in Wales. Uh, Wrexham is the got town. It, got it. Got it. And uh, it's it's basically Rob loves sports, and he loves uh, he's a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan. He loves mm-hmm. the comeback story. And somehow, some way, he finds out about the struggling football team in in Wales, uh, and he decides that he wants to buy it, but he needs mo- movie money to buy it. So he reaches out to his new friend Ryan Reynolds, and they end up buying this football team. And it's more about the story of the town and the people and the relationship to the team and how everything is interconnected. And there's just kind of Ryan and Rob doing stuff. Like they're very excited. The town's very excited that Ryan and Rob are buying the team and that they're going to put some money into it. And, but it's like, these are people who are so invested in this team and the history of this team. And it's a completely different culture. Like Mm -hmm. we have college football here and college football ends up getting people really excited and they get into it and stuff. I don't feel like it compares to these folks in Wales and, and across the United Kingdom who are just into their teams, right. And their team, they, they bleed for their teams essentially. So it's, it's just this compelling story and they focus a lot on the people in the town, the town itself, the people who have volunteered. Basically, someone bought the team in order to buy the stadium, in order to tear it down and build like apartments or something at one point. Mm-hmm. And the city, the town came back and said, fuck you, no, you're not doing that. And they basically bought it all back and they oh, wow. ran it as like a trust. Hmm. 
for several years, but they had no money. So it basically went down further and further and further in the standings until now they're in like a really bad league mm-hmm. and and they're trying to bring it back up. So it's just this compelling, compelling story. It's on FX. You can also see it on Hulu, which mm-hmm. is where I watch it. But it's uh, Welcome to Wrexham. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. So, so Aaron, how about you? What's your pick? Um, so I was thinking about this because right now I am in the like – last stages of trying to finish a draft so uh i'm very limited on on media right now because i have focus but one thing that i am really grateful for is um there's this program called write or die three um yeah yeah. ages ago this is how i finished my forgotten realms novels was with write or die because it's one it's like a you it's like a word processor kind of thing you type um, and you can set it up so that it has it gives you rewards when you hit certain milestones or it like, um, you know, they will show you like cute little kittens or something. Or you can set it for consequences because I am someone who um, just I need I need the stick, not the carrot. Um, so basically, I have it set up with a, what's called kamikaze mode. So kamikaze if, I stop mode. Typing, <laughs> if I stop typing, the screen starts turning red and then it like shows a spider and then it starts deleting things yeah. that I wrote. Um, and I've tried other things. So the, you know, the, the guy that makes this Dr. Wicked, like he, he, uh, was working on the third one and stuff came up and it, and he, he just like tanked, just t- took it off the internet. Um, and I've tried other things, but then like a month or two ago, I was like, what's that guy up to on Twitter? And I found that he said, you know what, here it is. It's not done. Um, but it's, you know, functional and people have been asking. So here, take it, like, try it. I'm going to try to finish working on this. And it's still got some bugs to it. Like it's still got some issues, but I'm so grateful to have this back in my life because those days where you're just like, you know, you need to write and you don't want to write. You're just like, oh, pick, 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 pick. Um, I find I get out of my own way when I mm-hmm. use this and it is so good yeah. for getting a jump start, especially when you're facing something, some scene you're like, I know this has to be here, but I don't want to write it. I'm not excited. Yeah. There are there are so many people who are terrified of kamikaze mode. <laughs> I know. Every time I say it, people are like, "What the <laughs> hell? What kind of psychopath are you?" But I'm like, that's that. Like, I I I'm the kind of person where, like, when I had to write papers in college or something, I'd be like, "Okay, for every page, I like eat an M M&M, and M, right?" And then I'd be like, "But I want another M M&M. and M. I'll eat one, and it'll be for the next page." And then I just eat all the M and M's, and it's like I have no. Exactly. There's yeah, a part of me that's yeah. like, hold up, I'm an adult. I can reward myself whenever I want. I'm like, this isn't helping. <laughs> I I got into the cycle of uh, critique groups and critique mm. groups helped because it, mm. it was basically if I'm in the group, I have to be submitting. Mm-hmm. If I'm not okay. submitting, I'm wasting my time. And so that helped me get words on paper, right? It, it's like, okay, I, I, I've got a month. I have to, I have to, I, I've given them something. I've left them with a cliffhanger. Yeah. I've got to, I've got to follow through and get something else going mm-hmm. and, you know, constantly trying to stay ahead of them was good for me. Mm-hmm. That's a, that is a good argument for that. Like, like my, my writing group, like, we're like, here's a novel, right? So you have to yeah. have yeah. the thing the whole thing. But that, there. but that like chapter by chapter, like that's a good argument yeah. for that. I hadn't thought of that aspect. Yep. That is really cool. So I, I think kamikaze mode, you can set, to a certain degree when consequences kick in, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You can tell it, like, give me, you know, an eight-second grace period or a 20-second, or you can make it huge if you're someone who does, like, need to think for a minute. the distance, yeah. Right. Yeah, like, if I'm, if I'm gone for more than five minutes, eat, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right? Nom nom. All right, so my, my 
pick of the week is totally different. Um, so for context, today is homecoming, uh, both for the school where I teach and for the school, the high school where my son goes. And so son's going to the homecoming dance tonight. My daughter is going totally unrelatedly on a birthday sleepover with some other people, which means for the first time in forever, um, the Husbeast and I are going to be on our own recognizance for like eh, four hours or so tonight. So in addition to watching a couple of episodes of the fourth season of Stranger Things, which, you know, kind of needs to happen at some point because I'm supposed to be teaching a class on Stranger Things soon. <laughs> um, might be good if I was up on the thing. Um in addition just keep to in that, mind, just keep in mind that those episodes are like four hours long. So they are, they're not. Yeah. They're each, <laughs> like, there's a lot of feature length stuff that they're doing with season four to be like, guys, it's only like eight episodes for the season. It's but 18 years of content. Yes. <laughs> um, you did what? I did, ah. But anyway, um, with our time, we're going to watch perhaps just one episode from season uh, four and probably pull out one of our favorite two-player board games we're a very board gamey household and one of the really good super light plays in like a half an hour really good kind of i i don't know how much brain power i have but there's just this is an incredibly fun and soothing game to play on what seems like the dorkiest theme ever patchwork by you rosenberg um so patchwork is a two-player game where you are quilting you are competitively quilting it is the dumbest sounding premise ever, but it is actually a really <laughs> elegant abstract two player game where you have a board that represents a space on which you can put quilting squares and your opponent has his own separate board and you create this giant ring on the table of all of the individual Tetrimo type pieces that represent your available patches. Each piece has uh, a time and a button cost on it. Buttons are the currency of the game. You start the game with a certain number of buttons and you earn more buttons as time goes on, if you play well. Um, there's a rule by which you figure out what pieces you're allowed to take. And based on where a pawn is that shows like what are the available pieces in this particular moment, you choose the best piece you can because you want to create a whole quilt with no holes in it because blankets that have holes in them are not good. Um, <laughs> and so... That's your goal. And you need to pay a certain number of buttons to acquire a um, to acquire a patch and patches that have more but that cost more buttons also earn you more buttons and so on and so on. Um, and it, it's this asynchronous game. So it's possible based on how elaborate the patches you're choosing are for you to take multiple turns before your opponent is entitled to their next turn. So it has this really interesting complex sounding but extremely elegant and easy to play out set of um kind of gameplay mechanics and you result with at the end of the game with this beautiful completely different looking every time you play it final board that that you end up making and it's cheap it's like 25 bucks most places games are sold it plays in anywhere from like 20 minutes to if you are extremely analysis paralysis <laughs> maybe, maybe 40 but even then i think you could knock it out in 30 um and it teaches really well uh even for people who are like ah, i'm scared of things with many colored objects and rules <laughs> um so if you if you live with just one other person or maybe have a friend you like to get together and game with on occasion patchwork is just really great and fun that sounds awesome, awesome. 
So anyhow, um, Lord, I sort of I wish that we didn't have the set of constraints on us that we do now because there's like a billion other things I would love to talk to you about, Aaron, and we'll have to have you back on for for your next book in the series to make that happen because like I have this whole bank of questions in my head about how <laughs> being, being steeped in the D and D world mm-hmm. changes who you are as a writer because of role play experience and all that. And also, of course, you do like podcast based role playing and things as well. Which yeah. Is, also super fun uh but that's gonna have to be next time in the meantime (laughs) where do people find you find empire of exiles and all the cool stuff yeah so you can find me on twitter at erin m evans um you can listen to my podcast writing about dragons and shit uh we usually drop new episodes on wednesday which you guys should come be on writing about dragons and shit then we'll have more conversation um And it's very low-key, casual craft talk. Um, I always liken it to we. It's the conversation you have after at a, at a convention when you've had a really good panel, and then you can go to the bar to continue the conversation. Oh, um, nice. So, so there's that. Um, Empire of Exiles comes out on November eighth. Uh, I talked a lot about the world, so here's a quick plot. Uh, when a Quill, who is basically like a legal clerk in this world, um, comes to the capital city to help facilitate a transfer of artifacts from the Imperial Archives. Uh, he is pulled into this mystery when his best friend murders a bunch of people. Uh, but the best friend would never, ever do that. So what the hell is going on? It turns out to be a very complex conspiracy that may topple this very kind of complex and fragile empire. Um, so yeah, I yeah, hope you yeah. like it. Ba, ba, ba. Yes. Uh, but it is available for pre-order. Um, I am hopefully soon going to have a cool pre-order campaign up, but that doesn't mean you can't do it before and get the get the cool stickers and things after. That's totally doable. Um, so wherever you buy your books, please pre-order uh, ebook, audiobook, and in print. Um, and yeah, you can also join me. I have a Twitch show on Mondays at uh, 1.30 p.m. Pacific called Concentration Check, which is a co-writing space. So come do Pomodoro sprints with me and then talk about whatever cool topic at the end that we want to talk about. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for hanging out with us, Aaron. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Holy crap. This year is just flying by, isn't it? Sheesh. As always, thank you for listening. Special shout out to our backers over on Patreon for putting up with all the shenanigans Tracy, totally Tracy, does over on our super secret private Facebook group. I mean, <laughs> she is just constantly posting stuff over there, like, you know, articles, uh, movie and TV show trailers, even like daily music videos at this point. I mean, yeah, that's that's totally all Tracy. So... <clears throat> thanks for uh thanks for backing us if you want to know what the hell i'm talking about go check out patreon.com slash functional nerds and throw us a couple bucks then you will gain access to our super secret private facebook group now i will say you and i have to be friends on facebook in order for me to invite you it's a facebook thing it's weird so there is a process but still uh, it would be really cool if you backed us and then, you know, joined us over there. Anyway, Robert and Todd, they totally promised us they would do this spinning sign thing on their street corners to drum up some listeners. And 
to date, they haven't actually followed through. So if you could go give us some stars on your favorite podcast platform, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you're going to, to find us and listen, that would be awesome. We'll, we'll work on the spinning sign thing with Robert and Todd as maybe sort of a holiday push. I can see them now dressed as elves. And not the cool ones from Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Canelli Joe said he might, might consider some sort of social media campaign around the poodles for, you know, the upcoming Hugo season. Cough. Before I forget, Beyond the Trope hit 400 episodes recently. That's pretty cool. Giles and Michelle were very, very properly excited about this 400 is a huge milestone for a podcast to celebrate why not go check them out at beyondthetrope.com they put out a new episode every tuesday talking with writers artists and creatives from all over the place and that 400th episode was pretty cool so again check them out over at beyondthetrope.com now i'm sure that this is the point where I would normally have some more uh, stuff to kind of say, things to tease our backers with, but I totally forgot to write it, so... Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've, if you've never listened to the podcast, there, there's, there's two different styles here. There's, there's Tracy, who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions. And then, oh, squirrel. Oh, for God's sake. Patrick Louise. <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? Okay. That's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, hey, I really love what you do. I'm like, I'm sorry. Do you know who I like? I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.